Hello, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. So I just want to start by asking you to imagine that you are an author and um, a friend who's also an author phones you up and they say to you, I've been working on a book, I've written 18 chapters of it, but I can't finish it anymore. And can I hand it on to you? Can you finish it? Now, I imagine your first question would be, well, what, what have you already written? Like, I can't, we can't write anymore if I don't know what the 18 chapters are about. Who are the characters? What's going on? What's the plot line? And so today, we want to talk about what are the next few chapters for G2. But we can't really do that unless we know where we've come from and what are, what's already been written, what is already the story of G2, which is coming up to 18 years old. So I'd love to just share with you a bit about that story. Some of you have been around for a while, so you'll know some of it and you will be in some of the photos that I'm going to show you. And some of you are much newer. And so this might be something that you don't know. And I hope something that you find interesting. So, in June 2003, I moved to York. I was at Loughborough University. I graduated, moved up to York. That's uh, me and my now husband, Luke, um, looking very young and fresh-faced. Um, at that point, I'd been a Christian for two years. I came to faith at university. Um, I was still fairly unchurched, I'd say. There was, there was a lot I was getting used to in church culture. You know, when um, people say, now we're all going to say the peace. I don't know what that means, still don't really know what that means. I'm going to say the creed, and then everyone stand up and chant something. I'd be like, what are they doing? I don't understand. And also, the, the like less churchy stuff, but still church culture, the hugs, all the hugs that happen. And honestly, non-Christians don't hug like we hug. My fa- I haven't hugged my mum in years. It's not normal, the amount of hugs that we do in church culture. I'm still learning to embrace that one. Um, and uh, we, uh, when we were here, we went to the Belfry. It was called St. Mike's at the time. We made that our, our home. Um, and then um, one day in early 2004, we went to a conference that was called um, The Emerging Church. And it was um, these guys that wrote this book here, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, who are um, theologians for missions. They're all about looking at mission and how we can do that differently. And um, this day was uh, just loads of stories, really. And we heard lots and lots of stories about people that were gathering to do church in different ways. Um, Often they weren't in a church building. We heard stories of people gathering at the beach to pray and worship and take communion before surfing, Um, all sorts of different ideas. And through this, people were coming to know Jesus in, in new ways. They were reaching people that would never set foot in a church building, but would maybe come along to something at a beach or something like that. Now, For us in 2022, this wouldn't be like radical thinking. But in 2004, there was some quite radical thinking around that. And um, for me, it just blew my mind because I had just spent two years trying to understand what church was, trying to get used to it, trying to get my head around it. And I just felt like the rug was pulled under me. I was was like, oh, maybe church is so much more than this little gathering that happens on a Sunday with this weird stuff that people do. And maybe 
maybe we could reach more people by doing things differently and looking at things differently. And so our vicar at the time was Roger Simpson at the Belfry. Um, and he used to do these Tuesday afternoon evening appointments where you could book in to have a chat with him for 15 minutes or half an hour. You just... We didn't really have internet, so we probably had to like phone up and book or something. And um, and me and Luke just booked in every week. We were like relentless. We were so annoying. I was only 21 years old, and I was there every week going, "We need to do church differently, Roger. We've got to think outside the box." To this vicar who'd been like leading churches for 30 years, you know, and probably seen everything. But he was so gracious and so kind, and he listened to us. And then one day he said, "We are going to start." something new. I think that would, had already been in the pipeline. I don't think we actually provoked it. Um, but he said, we are going to start something new. We are going to go and do church in a gym. And at the time, it was Next Generation Gym. It's now called David Lloyd on Hull Road. Um, and the idea was that this was a third place. So it's a place where people gather naturally that isn't a church it's a place where people choose to spend their time and the the vision was go and reach people that are in the gym go and be a presence there do church there invite people in and build something and he said all these ideas you've got go and do it there and tell me how it goes so that was a really good way to uh, stop filling the Tuesday afternoon appointments and so in January 2005 G2 launched in the upstairs room at David Lloyd. If any of you ever go to David Lloyd, it's now the Blaze Room. Um, so that's where it's now actually a workout room, but it was a, an event room at the time. Our um, leader was Jim Roberts, who was a chaplain at a school um, and, a, and a vicar. And it was kind of alpha style, so it was like the next step after alpha. There was lots of debate and questions. We sat around these uh, big tables. Every week we'd do something called table talk, and it would be provoking uh, questions and getting us to, to think. Um, there were two problems. The first problem is no one from the gym ever came. Um, mainly, because if you think about it, they're, they're going to something, aren't they? Like they've got a class booked or they're meeting someone. They're going somewhere. And so they would just walk through the main door and walk right past us and go to do what they were doing. Except there was one week where we did a, a hot topic on the Da Vinci Code, which had just come out at the time. And it was all the, all the talk in the Christian culture because it was all about the Catholic Church and all that stuff. And we put some signs up downstairs saying we're talking about the Da Vinci Code upstairs. And a few people came up because they actually thought it was going to be a book review on the Da Vinci Code. Who, <laughs> honestly, I remember this one girl just being so disappointed. And then she was trapped, and I could see like her going, "How do I get out? It's a church. What do I do?" So we learned a few things. Um, and then the other problem, which isn't really a problem, but it's not what we were hoping for, is other Christians did come. We had some transfer growth. We had lots of young families come because we were offering kids work where other churches weren't offering kids work at that time. But one thing that we did found is people who had given up on church came along. Um, or people that wouldn't have been in church, people that had maybe not gone to church for a few years, they'd kind of given up hope on the institution or the structure, and they thought, maybe this is somewhere where I could find a family. So they, they did already have a relationship with Jesus, but they came along and, and really connected and found friends and family there. And there's some photos of those early days. 
I remember getting our first students. We had a few, couple of students with us right from the start uh, called Laura and Rob. And then as we prayed more, then um, we had a, a student come along called Ed. I remember him walking in and then he invited friends and he invited someone called Miriam, who um, lots of you will know. And what we found the students saying is this is a place we can invite our friends to. So um, it, because it was so welcoming, because it didn't feel like a church, they said this is where we can invite someone that's never come to church to come along. And so we may have set out to connect with people in the gym, but we, we just began to get an inkling that maybe God was leading us into something different, to connect with those people that had lost touch with the church or those people that would never um, go, go to church and young adults and students. So we were um, at the gym for five years, and then in 2010, we moved to this room, which at the time was Burnham Community College. It was a school that was open, so this room existed, but looked very different. What you're seeing there is the view. So there was a stage here, and backstage, and horrible curtains, and it was very dingy. Um, and then you went through those doors, and you were in a corridor into a school, and we used to use the classrooms for our kids' work. And it was quite strange at times, you know, being in a, in a school that had all the artwork on the walls and pictures and, and things. And then after a few years, the school actually closed because it was failing. We continued to use it. So then it was even more weird because we were like using these empty classrooms that no one else was using except us and uh, YCC that also used the building um, for school, uh, for church, sorry. Um, and when we moved here, we also moved, we'd been at 11 o'clock. We moved to 3.45, um, which is a bit of a random time, but that's what time we met. I <laughs> don't know why. Um, couple of stories I'd like to, to share with you. So this is Chloe, and I'd like to tell you Chloe's story. But her story actually starts with our student worker at the time that was Pippa, and um, our other student worker, Ellie, who had a real heart for international students. And Pippa and Ellie one day were out walking on campus, and they were praying. They were doing a prayer walk as they went, and they asked God for a really clear picture um, and they were given like a picture of a girl with black hair and a blue coat, something really, really specific. And so as they walked around campus, they saw this girl that had black hair and a blue coat, and she was a Chinese student, and they went up to her, and they introduced themselves, and they said, we've been praying, and, um, and God gave us a picture of you, so we just wanted to ask you if we could pray for you in some way. Now, that wasn't Chloe. That was a girl called Hong, and she was just arrived from China. She was a Christian. She'd become a Christian in China, and she had heard that you could speak about Jesus in the UK, but she hadn't dared to do it yet because in China, you were not allowed to speak about it. And here she was being approached by two Christians that said, we'd love to pray for you. She broke down into tears. She was like, is it true? Are you allowed to be a Christian in this country? They prayed with her. They invited her along to G2. She became absolutely on fire for Jesus. She became an evangelist. She told everyone she knew. And Chloe is one of the people that she told all about Jesus. Chloe came to faith, and this is her at her baptism, and we're still in touch with her. I think she just recently got married. She had just changed her life around through, through Hong, through Ellie and Pippa. Like this, you know, it's a story of hope that we have at G2. 
And then I just wanted to share you with you this other story, which is Tash. Now, uh, James, who was sharing with us um, earlier, this is uh, James, uh, James's wife, Tash. Um, I slightly wanted to show it for comedy value because um, Tash is hilarious and sometimes unintentionally, um, but also um, a video from 2010 is also quite funny because the quality and the style and everything. So let's see if this works. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my name's Tash. Um, I just got that in the um, I go to church, but I haven't gone to church. I've grown up in a family where we've never experienced church. When I was 16, my mum came home one day and said, Tash, I've started to go to church. Do you want to try it out? I was like, not really, but I'll give it a go. And so I went on Sunday, and it was amazing. It was completely not what I expected. People were great. The building wasn't like all articles I had expected. And the talk-up was really good. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go again. And this time I brought with me my best friend from school. And she loved it as well. And I was like, well, I want to get on this bandwagon and see what it's about a bit more. So I kept going every Sunday. And one Sunday I thought, you know what, God, I want to get to know you a bit more. And when I thought that, this overwhelming presence came into my life. And I felt like for the first time I'd come home and I wasn't on my own. God is amazing, and if you haven't tried church before, I suggest you check it out, because it's been the most brilliant journey I've ever been on in my life. So much to love about that video. Um, the talker, the swept fringe that was so cool in 2010. Get on that bandwagon. Um, <laughs> And some other memories of that time, we had a 24-7 prayer caravan. So we did a whole week of prayer in a caravan. Um, and it was right next to campus. Um, and we filled all the slots. There were people in there praying all the time. We uh, entirely covered it with artwork and post-it notes and prayers. Um, it was brilliant. Um, we also did some uh, late-night worship events called Drench that that's someone being lifted up in the spirit and also with hands. Um, and we used to do baptisms outside. I'm not entirely sure why we thought we had to do them outside, but we, we did. Um, there was so many meals in houses and hanging out in the park. And we did leadership meetings in a bird of prey center. And we had Friday fun for mums and, and little ones. Luke and his friend Gav locked himself in a cage for a week. If you've not heard that story, ask him about it. Uh, there were just so many great things that happened during um, all of this time that we've been together. And just too many people to mention it all. Um, and also, there's been lots of mistakes made. I'm sure there's been people that are hurt and broken. Um, I'm not trying to say, oh, we're like the most perfect church. We've just been on a, on a journey, writing this story, trying to figure it out, trying to do, try new things so that we can reach more people and grow the kingdom. And not having a building or like a permanent gathering space does have its downsides, um, but it also means that G2 has never been confined by the walls of a meeting room, that we've always been about the people. We've always been about reaching and connecting with people and building a family together. And so I wanted to show you all these photos today, partly because it's fun having a bit of a throwback, but partly because 
These are like our ancestors. These are the people that went before us. These are the, the people that are, they're our family. You know, even if you don't know them, even if you've never seen them before, they're still part of who we are as a community. They're the people that have walked in, in our shoes before us. And people that we sent out, as I was looking through old photos and old videos, there's so many people that we sent out to go and do other stuff in, in London, in Bristol, all sorts of different places. And that's such a big part of, of who we are. So then in 2016, um, they decided to close the school so that they could renovate, re renovate it into a community center. And so we were asked to move out of this building for a year. We went into uh, Central Methodist. Um, that picture of Peter with his hand, he's told me that is four years ago yesterday. So um, it, it came up on his uh, timeline. Um, and it was, so with, the idea was that we'd be there for a year and then we would move back here after one year. But what we didn't expect is the growth that we saw in that time. We saw so many new people connecting in. Uh, people brought friends along. I remember there's a guy called Hugh. He's the poshest person I've ever met. And <laughs> um, he brought along his, uh, his housemate, Ellie, who gave her life to Jesus. And then she brought along that other housemate, Ryan, who gave his life to Jesus. There was one more housemate that we were all gunning for, but he never came. Um, <laughs> but the, the three of them, they have all moved to, to London, and they live sort of near each other or together down in London. And um, But they were such a key part of like the growth that we saw at G2. Um, and we got to the point where there's just far too many people for that room. And so in uh, September 2017, we went to two services. So uh, we had a 3.45 service and then a 6.30 service. And this meant that we could grow in number, but also just release leadership. We could grow more teams. Um, more people could get involved and find a home. So that lasted for a year like that. And then in 2018, this building was ready to move into. And so we decided at that point not to move both sites back here, not to go back into one uh, kind of one service, but to, um, to, to go to two services, two sites at different places. So we had G2 Burnhome that was here, and then G2 City that stayed at Central Methodist. Um, and I think for both sites, that felt like something new. There was like a fresh energy in that. There was fresh leaders in that. It felt like growing from the ground up again. It was hard at times. It was really difficult at times. But we were always one church, but with different expressions of that same church. And we were still kind of figuring out what that meant. We were still like living in that and working out what that meant when COVID hit in March 2020. So we'd only been together as those different sites for 18 months when we had to go online. And I know that we all made the best of it, but none of us loved it, did we? Let's be honest. So we started by doing church in a box, which meant we just sent out like a video that you could watch at home. Then we moved to, to Zoom and we were doing two services, like the 345 and the 630 on Zoom. But then we made the decision to move back to being one church, one service, one site, mostly for practical reasons. But we kind of knew that this COVID thing that was going to last a while. So we wanted to gear up for what that looked like. And then eventually we went to G2 online um, using YouTube and then the living room where we had some fun and games. And it wasn't fun for everyone. And that was fine. Um, <laughs> 
let's be honest. And then in May 2021, so that's a year and a little bit after that, uh, our leader, Christian, moved on. And this is him handing an actual baton to me as I became interim leader and then uh, later on became, um, I want to say permanent leader, but I'm not here permanently, guys. Like, leader for a bit longer. Um, and so then a year after that, in July 2021, we began to meet again in person. We started in a car park because we were still living in this weird COVID times where we weren't really sure if we were allowed to be in a building together and you had to ask to go to the toilet. And so we thought, let's just meet outside. That's safer apart from British weather. Um, but then we also did uh, some prayer and worship evenings um, inside, just a bit smaller and a bit more intimate, just as a way of just beginning to meet together. And then in September 2021, so just one year ago, we met in person properly in the building as one church back in Burnhome. And it was a strange time because as you walked in, you, they, there were people you'd look around and I know lots of people said to me, I just don't know anyone. People that had been at City would say to me, I just feel like everyone's from Burnhome. But then people from Burnhome would say to me, I feel like everyone's City. Students would say everyone's not a student, vice versa. And I think everyone just felt a little bit like I'm not quite sure what's going on. There were people that had joined online and had never actually been to G2 in person. And then lots of people had moved on as well so we were it was a time of like really navigating who we were and um, and during that time I felt like God said that we really just need to build our culture at the time there wasn't like a clear vision and direction but just let's really think about who we are and figure that out again get back to our roots and so we've done lots of rebuilding of our community. That's why we try and eat together. We have prayer time together because it's about bringing us together and remembering who we are. And people have said to me, we're not very missional anymore. And I'm really aware of that. But how can you be missional if you don't know who you are? How can you invite people in if you don't know what they're inviting to? So this past year, that's what we've really been trying to do is just set those foundations again, know who we are, but so that then we can go and invite others in again. And so what strikes me as I was figuring out all these dates and, and looking at it is the pace of change we have had in the last six years is like nothing we've ever experienced before. And it's really, really unusual for a church. It, so six years ago, we changed locations and then we went to two services, to two sites, online, new leader, we met outside and then we began normal again, but no one really knew what that was. And, and this, um, this six years of change, I think is really significant for us in terms of it's it's rocked the boat a little bit and it's not been comfortable and bearing in mind within that six years is like 18 months to two years of a pandemic which you know unearthed all of us we're all just left going I'm not entirely sure what's going on for for those of you that were students during that time I think that's such a significant time in your life when you're building with people when you're figuring out who you are to be then thrown into a pandemic is you know just huge I think we just I think it'll take a while before we really understand the effects that this has had on us as individuals and as a community and so, yeah, of course, we've seen, we've continued to see Jesus move. We've continued to see people come to know him through this. God is so faithful and there has been fruit as well. But I just want to name the fact that it, it hasn't been easy. And even if you're fairly new or you've joined in the last year and you didn't know all of this, you might have at times felt like I'm on a bit of a wobbly ship here. and I'm not really sure what's going on. And that might be why, because we're still just trying to figure it all out and that's okay but I just want to yeah name that um 
And so I've had this um, image, actually, of a ship throughout this week, and I've been trying to like, figure out whether to share it or not. I didn't want to mix metaphors, because we kind of started talking about we're a book, and now we're a ship. But anyway, I think we can cope with it, okay? So <laughs> I had this like, image of, of a ship pulling up last year, and us all getting onto it. And I've never actually been on a ship, but I would imagine I would need a good few hours just to figure out everything, like unpack all my stuff and work out where the restaurant is and where's the games room and just navigate it, meet some people. Do I like these people? Do I want to spend like the next year with these people? I'm not really sure. And, um, and, and I've just felt like that's what this year has been like. We've all just been navigating it. But I think now we're getting to the point where we're about to set sail and we're about to go somewhere. And so there is a change coming for us. And I think it's exciting. But there's also an invitation in that for us to be a part of it. And then what I felt God really clearly say is this is not a cruise ship. No, one, no one's going to be sitting on the sun decks. This is like a mission ship where we've all got a part to play. There's lots of jobs to be done there's the floors to be cleaned and there's cooking to be done and there's a hospitality and welcome there's all sorts of things to be done and we all get to pe- play a part in it and we all get to to be part of like the, the team that's on this ship so that's a lot of information so I think we'll take a pause now just so you can chat on your tables and just breathe for a minute um, what out of all of that did you find was new? What did you know? Some of you have been around a while. Some of you, are, it's your very first day, so it will be totally new. But just like have a little chat now. What did you already know or what did you remember? What, did you, what was a surprise? Over to you. So back to the book metaphor. Um, I think we are now being invited to, to really intentionally think about the next few chapters. But this is absolutely not my book. This is our book. This is our community. This is God's church. And that is, I say that regularly and I pray that regularly. This is your church, God. You are the leader of it. But we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. All of us are part of this. And so I spent the summer praying about what God is asking us to do next, where he's leading us next. And so I'd love to share that with you, but also um, just leave that open for us to figure out what these pages actually look like. So our purpose is to make disciples who make disciples. Our, the reason that we gather, the reason that we exist is for discipleship, to equip each other. Right at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, in all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Sorry, my PowerPoint just went. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. So this is why we exist. This is why we bother being a church family. We want to be disciples of Jesus, learning from him and with him through the Holy Spirit and growing together. We are all lifelong learners. We never stop learning. And so part of being a disciple and journeying with Jesus is also making disciples, is inviting other people into that, in in sharing our lives with others so that we can all know Jesus more, not just within this room, but in our whole lives. 
And it just says at the bottom there, we train in ministry to send in mission. Because so often what we do at G2, we're training people up, we have different people leading, we have um, like stuff going on midweek, and all of it is not for our own gain. It's we're training people up to send out into the world on mission. Kind of like James and Tasha are on mission, but we're all on mission in our workplaces, in our universities, with our housemates. We're all invited to be on mission and be sharing this and making disciples. And so what direction does this take us in? What do we want G2 to look like in five years? Well, the answer to this is discover hope, live for Jesus, and tell others. In five years' time, we will see a community where every person is on a journey to discovering more of Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 questions. He is asked 183 questions, and he only answers three. Why is that? Because he wants us to discover more. He wants us to discover things. At any point, you know, we're working through Matthew at the moment. At any point, we see Jesus could have told his disciples exactly who he is, exactly what the plan is, and exactly what their role in it is. But he doesn't tell them. He invites them to journey alongside him and allows them to discover it for themselves at the right time. And that is our model of discipleship. Jesus just invites us to journey alongside him. We're not a church that's going to be like preaching and trying to give all the answers, but creating space where discovery can happen. Because it is so much more powerful when we discover things for ourselves. We could every week do a 45-minute preach and do an exegesis on the Bible and have some really deep theology. And that's obviously what lots of churches do. But I'm not sure how much of an impact that has on the rest of our lives. I'm not sure how many of us remember what the talk was on when we get home on a a Sunday. How, How long does that knowledge last before it is forgotten? But I think we're called to be a place where we can really figure stuff out for ourselves. When we open the Bible, the Bible is so important, but we have to open it ourselves and ask questions with each other in community. We have to have discussion. We have to welcome difference of opinions. And then we really engage in the scripture. And equally, there's loads to discover about who we are and who God has made us to be. And there's loads to discover about different ways of worshiping. And we have that opportunity to to discover way more than if we're just told things all the time. And so this is core to who we are. And I hope in five years' time it will be even more present and even more part of our DNA. Because to be a disciple means to discover things and help people to discover things. And it also means making mistakes. That's a key part of discovery. And the next one is live for Jesus. In five years' time, we will see a community of people who live for Jesus every day. Our discoveries, these things we're learning about and figuring out together, should lead us into a place of deeper discipleship, where we walk out those truths that, we are, uh, that are being revealed to us, and where we're equipped to live for Jesus every single day, where we press in deeper with each other, with the Bible, laying down our lives. 
In Philippians 1 verse 6, it says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and being confident in, in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I absolutely love that. That is a letter written from Paul to his friends in Philippi. And the way he says, I pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from the very first day that you encountered Jesus until now, I pray that he will continue the good work in you and will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that is what discipleship is. That work that is being done in us will just continue, continue all the way. And vital to finding, uh, vital to, to this, sorry, is finding freedom through the Holy Spirit. Because it is only through the Holy Spirit we can be set free from things that hold us back. In Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. As we spend time with the spirit, then things are done within us that cannot be done by our own works. I don't know anyone that ever got set free from anything by that just try harder approach. It's only when we submit to the Holy Spirit working on our lives that we see freedom and we see that the truth outworked every day in our lives. So that's what living for Jesus really is. And then finally, we tell others. We share our lives and we tell others. I can't put it better than the writer of Hebrews, which I'm now just going to find. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So as we run this race, as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as we run with perseverance and throw off everything that entangles us, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And through that, through living our lives for Jesus, through being filled with the Holy Spirit, through walking in freedom and seeing those things thrown off us, then we tell others. We share our faith. It's not just about telling verbal, verbally, but opening our lives so that others can see what it looks like to really know Jesus and really live every single day of our lives for Jesus. When, and then finally, I'd just like to share with you our culture. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. So these three things, these are a circle. Discover hope, live for Jesus, tell others. This is a lifelong circle that we want to be encountering so that we discover hope, we live for Jesus, we tell others, we discover more, we live for Jesus, we tell others. As we tell others, they discover more, they live for Jesus, they tell others. And it becomes just a circle of discipleship that we want to live in every day. And then what underpins all of that is our culture or our values, you might say. And those things are hold firm to the word, receive a fresh supply of the spirit, and be filled with love. And these three things come from uh, the letter of Philippians, where Paul wrote from prison to his friends in Philippi. And he wrote to encourage them, but also to urge them. And I felt like this same message was given to us last year, and I still think it's true for us today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking what this means a little bit more, so I won't go into loads of details now. But with the word, we want to know God's voice above all other voices. And this comes from the Bible. 
We want to know the story in which we have a place because it's our story, the story of the Bible. We need to know how God forgives, how he loves, how he teaches. We need to know what scripture says about family, relationships, work, worship, prayer. All of the questions that we have, we should be able to find in the scripture. And so I don't know about you, but I know that I'm living this culture right now where we're being shouted at or all sorts of different messages because the world we live in through social media is so open to everybody having an opinion. And all the time I see messages about how to live your life. You do you. You be who you want. Take any identity you want. Take any label you want. But there's only one identity that really matters. And it's that we are God's son and daughter's. And that is, comes from the scripture. And that is where we get our identity from. Secondly, a fresh supply of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is like constant running water. And we want to be a church that is known by the spirit, known by the signs and wonders, people being healed and released and walking in freedom from fears and anxieties. We want to be a place that makes a space for the Spirit to move and a church that shows people how to live with the Holy Spirit in us day in, day out. And finally, love. Love should be at the center of everything we do. Love for Jesus, love for each other, which comes from Jesus. And we believe the best in each other. We trust in each other with our lives. In Corinthians, it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And that verse is often used at weddings, but actually it's for, for communities as a model of how to live where we really love each other. Love for Jesus being, means being willing to sacrifice things because we put him first, sacrifice everything for him. And we live sacrificially as modeled by Jesus. So these three things, they're like the how of G2. They're the how. If you've got a how do I, how do I pray for someone? How do I have a difficult conversation with someone? How do I lead a small group? How do I disciple someone? This will always be the answer. We hold firm to the word. We receive a fresh supply of the spirit and we are filled with love. And if we stick with those three things, we can't go far wrong as we step into this discipleship journey. So what next? What does this look like? I don't know all of the details of what this looks like, but I do know that we have to do it together. I do know that we've all got a part to play. I've already shared this slowly with a few people and people are excited to get on board and figure out what their, their part in it is. I think I'm called to this for the next 10 years. I don't know what's next after that, but I, I think God has asked me to, to lead here for the next 10 years and to really bring some direction. And I'm not going to say we're not going to have stormy waters because we never know what's coming, but I'm on board and I'm really, really keen to be a part of this. And I think God's been speaking to me about the next five years. I think this is what it is all about. But my question to you and to all of us is what does this next chapter look like? What do the next few chapters look like? 
And this picture of this ship setting sail where there's no passengers, there's only team, is one for us. One thing I've noticed is that we are such a transient community here. As I looked at all those old photos, me and Luke, we've been here for 17 years, since the very start. And that's really weird, because no one else has been there this long. We've got a few people that are probably hitting 11, 12 years. But so many people, it's like five, six years, and then they're sent on to something else. And that is part of who we are. That's not something to grieve. That's something to celebrate, that we are transient. But I have this picture of people getting on the ship, going for a few stops and then they get off again and my hope is that as people get off they are better equipped to deal with the things that life throws at them that we are more resilient because we've built that resilience as a community that we are our eyes are fixed on Jesus into whatever we go into next that what we do as we're on this ship together is that we're training in ministry ready to send out in mission and we're all doing that that is not me standing here saying I'm going to train all of you that that, that's not how this works. We learn from each other and we train each other. So I'm going to hand back over to Adam now so that we can have some discussion on this.